0: Hello,
1: everybody, how are you? Um, I know that uh, posting that ad at the beginning might've confused some people. Uh, Barry Wall, who's our guest today, asked me to please put that ad in. Um, And I wanted to give it a lot of exposure before we started chatting, um, because I didn't wanna break up the flow of the conversation by including an ad Uh, and having the people who download the podcast on the streaming services say, huh, what ad? What is she talking about? So anyway, you all got a chance to see the ad. Um, Barry is here. I am going to bring him in. Uh, The reason that Negs and I are not on camera today is because um, Negs bought a fancy new panel for us to be able to stream together and have a guest on. And we're still trying to get the hang of it. And what we're gonna to have to do is do some trial runs with it. Um, it's a question of connectivity. It's a whole thing. You don't wanna know how the sausage is made. Um, but the point is that we are gonna be off camera on this podcast until we figure out how to use that panel and incorporate guests. Now, let me bring in my love. Hello, Negs. how are you?
2: Good morning, afternoon.
1: Hello, hello. So Negs and I are broadcasting from two separate rooms today. And with that said, here is EDI Jester, the amazing Barry Wall. Barry, how are you?
3: Hello, hello, hello. And I believe it's about lunchtime there in America. Am I correct?
1: It is, it certainly is.
3: Hello. Well,
2: it's good to finally meet you. I've been uh, watching a lot of your content over the last couple of days.
3: Well, thank you very much for watching. I appreciate it. I hope you found it enjoyable. I I did, I did. I'm pretty picky, so. (laughs) Ah, good, good. That's what we like, a a fussy, discerning person. Correct.
1: (laughs) All right, now, Barry, before we get started, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and why it is that you took such a a keen interest in the subjects that we're going to be discussing today?
3: Okay, I'm more than happy to do so. Um, I've been involved in equality, diversity, and inclusion since before equality, diversity, and inclusion was even a thing. So it's going on 30 years now, right back to the extent where it was okay for an employer to ask a woman if she was going to get pregnant and then not employ her. So we are going back many years, particularly in terms of the English history of this rather than the American history. And I've also been an educator. I'm a qualified teacher. And so I'm very interested in the educational sector. And I went to work at some universities a few years back doing equality, diversity and inclusion with um, high end engineers doing PhDs. And it was then that I noticed that something was going terribly amiss. And that's what sort of brought me to this uh, most peculiar of cultural uh, circumstances where we seem to be arguing over reality itself. And that's what really brought me to the battle was the search for truth and the search for clarity amidst this absolute maelstrom of nonsense which has taken the Western world by storm. That's what brought me here. Um, I'm by nature curmudgeonly so I'm, I'm a bit of a bookender and by that I mean um, I hold the line I take a stance and that's the line that I take and the line that I take is that all of this nonsense whichever part of it it is gender ideology queer theory or whatever uh, must end it has no place in, in a right thinking society because it is the antithesis of the enlightenment which means that three of us can be sat here now having this conversation.
1: Well, here's the thing, Barry. Now, I went to college in the 1980s and in the 19, by the 1980s critical theory had already infected English departments all over the Western world. And so I spent the time that I thought I was going to be spending reading the canon and studying Shakespeare because I went to college because I wanted to become a Shakespeare professor. At the university level. And instead, I was being fed Harold Bloom and Lacan and Derrida and the Frankfurt School and all these philosophers uh, who wrote in this incomprehensible prose um, that then I was expected to write in the same style. And, you know, when I graduated from college, I felt completely cheated and ripped off. But I thought, well, thank God at least these ideas or this nonsense has not made its way into the real world and it's sort of isolated in colleges where we can then you know turn our backs on it and forget it so what has happened is that a lot of those philosophies have merged together and they have formed a school of thought called critical social justice so if you wouldn't mind explaining what that term means that would be great
3: well, what you're seeing, what you're seeing, is the confluence of what's called the long march through the institutions, which, as you rightly have pointed out, began a long time ago. Probably in the seventies mm-hmm. uh, would be the sort of beginnings of it, in truth. And it's not unusual for me to hear that you say that the English departments were captured when you got there in the eighties. Mm-hmm. The Media departments certainly were when I went in the nineties. And what we're seeing is this uh, process of uh, um, applying an almost Marxian. Uh, structure, a skeletal structure that resembles the idea of the class, power and oppression narrative of Marx, right. but replacing the idea of class with whether, whatever it be, sex, gender, sexuality um, and uh, and race. This first occurred when women's studies fell to gender studies. So the first victims of this were women, um, women's studies, which was then quite nascent because women had only just joined the workplace and understanding um, uh, about uh, the world from a woman's perspective was something that wasn't always considered. We're going back you know, a long time now to the 1960s. And then at that point, gender studies became a thing and it actually took over women's studies. And it became about subversion based on this Marx and Marxist skeleton, which is why you hear people talk about it being neo-Marxist. It's it's nothing like real Marxism, which was interested in class analysis, but it certainly bears the hallmarks of looking the same. Um, it's just rotten frankly. Now, in, you then go to the 1980s, and Judith Butler and Gail Rubin and Pat Khalifa get together and decide that Foucault and Derrida and Lacan were rather a good idea, and they begin producing exactly what you've discussed, which is the most impenetrable garbage, right. and it's rubbish in the first order. And that was designed to obfuscate reality, because that is what queer theory does. So queer theory appeared post the idea of gender ideology, which of course is rooted in the works of Harry Benjamin, John Money, and uh, before them Kinsey. Money was a fan of Kinsey. These ideas of sex as a spectrum. Money, as you know, um, caused I, I think caused directly the deaths of two people by suicide, which were the Reimer twins, uh, in his experimentations, which also involved various sexual activities. So it was it was something that's been a long time coming. But if somebody had to say to me, well, what do you think was the key moment that set it off here in the UK? And I think possibly supercharged it in America and the rest of the West. It would have to be the Black Lives Matters incident with George Floyd. And I think What's,
1: what's what's the connection?
3: Well, the connection there is power and oppression. That's that's what the common connection is between all of them. So if you think about gender identity ideology. It's about it's about one group that is very hard done by i.e., men who want to think they're women is being abused and oppressed by everybody else. When it comes to queer theory, it's everything about normal life is oppressive. Therefore, we have to bring down what they call heteronormativity, you know, 2.2 kids and all that sort of thing. And then when you get to the other side, which is BLM, it's critical race theory, which is the idea that there is no such thing as uh, being a, a sort of colorblind that anti racism must be your standard position and that race is always in every conversation including this one so right. it's a triptych of terror and i like i mean i call it the the three udder, the udders of the postmodern uh, the three teats <laughs> you know like a cow so you've got the three teats of the postmodern udder. <laughs> <laughs> Critical race theory, queer theory and gender ideology, you know, and they're uh-huh. all sucking off each one. It's, you know, so there's this <laughs> madness going on. But uh-huh. what it comes down to it, at the end of the day is it's a, it's a victimhood movement, full stop. It's about finding victimhood and finding an oppressor. And they're incredibly dangerous. There's a guy called Sam Vakin, I think his name, Vankin, I think his name is, who's done some work on this. I and mean, he says he's, that all... He's
1: fantastic, by the way. I've done uh, videos on him or stories yeah. about him and I highly, highly... Uh, recommend his videos. He's an Israeli psychologist who has studied yeah. narcissistic movements and the dangers within.
3: He, he's amazing, right? And so he's victimhood movements, he said the Nazis were a victimhood movement, Pol Pot, Mao. So what we're seeing is, a re- you mentioned, I think, the other day when I was watching, you talked about horseshoe theory. Right. Which is this idea that once you take the extremities, they get so far around the other side that they become merged as one. Right. Which I think, you know, when you think about Orwell's animal farm and at the end when he says he looked from pig to man and man to pig and sooner or later, you couldn't tell the difference. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what Orwell was talking about, this this sort of of confluence of events that bring them together. But if that's true about horseshoe theory, then the exact opposite is classical liberalism. Right. The centrist classical liberalism, which is a very British uh, sort of way of being. British are generally centrists. You know, it's do what you want, but don't frighten the horses. That's right. how the Brits tend to be. So I think there's something that's interesting about that. But Orsho theory itself, um, the left came up with their own version, and they called it fishhook theory.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Which, if you have a look, have a look, at this, it's absolutely hilarious. God. Because what they did essentially is, is to do a model that looks like a fishhook. Then, no right. matter what you do, the left's never to blame; it's always the right.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly.
3: So oh, you know, what, you know,
1: what, it's funny what, because remember back—I don't know if this happened in the UK, but it certainly happened in the United States. Uh, starting in the 90s, uh, where we saw references being made by uh, right-wing politicians and right-wing activists to cultural Marxism. Um, and there was a lot of indignant pushback on the idea that cultural Marxism even existed. But it does exist. Now, I, I would argue that at the time, we didn't see the signs of it, because basically to these right wing uh, activists and politicians, anything that was to the left of their extreme right wing position was Marxism. So everybody kind of sloughed it off as being not a serious uh, accusation. However, what exactly what you said is true. If you take a look at the bare bones structure of uh, critical race theory, uh, gender theory, queer theory, all of these so-called theories what you see when you strip it down to its essence is a rewritten and rethought out Marxism. It's the Marxist template. And I do not say that as a criticism. I will admit that I still consider myself to be something of a Marxist. All these years after graduating from school, I love Marx's overview on uh, the socioeconomic structure and politics and how they all intertwine. That does not mean that I am a communist, it means that I Appreciate Marx's worldview, but what these other schools have done by substituting for the proletariat—let's say uh, you substitute people of color, you substitute gays, you substitute women—you end up with this miserable hodgepodge of of victimhood that has now overtaken the discourse, and it is really, really worrying, because we see the extent to which these alleged victims are willing to go to seize power. And that's something that Sam Wachner discusses as well.
3: You make you make a very interesting point, and I think that brings us nicely to what happened with the death of George Floyd. And and from a uh, from a British point of view, I was I was asked at the time by a uh, a professor if I could look into a phenomenon that was called hashtag Shut Down STEM, which you may or may not have heard of. Mm. And this was a situation whereby they were asking students to shut down STEM for the day and and go and learn. About whatever it was they were supposed to learn about critical race theory. And for those and, of you who don't
1: know, for those of you who don't know what STEM is, STEM is basically uh, the study of the sciences, so engineering, yes. science, and that technical yes. studies.
3: Science, technology, engineering, and maths—that's that's right. the that's big four. And so this was the students were saying, "I'm not coming. I'm shutting down STEM." You know, that's what they were doing, and they asked me to look into it, and I did, and told the students not to do anything for a couple of hours while well, I did. It didn't take me that long to find out that it was a hoax from Four Chan that was. Um, then retweeted by two queer journalists from New York, and finally retweeted by Ben Shapiro, and this had managed to disrupt the STEM, um, the STEM disciplines in universities across the world. There's 30,000 scientists signed.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: This is the kind of rank stupidity that has come from this. Well, once. Organizations uh, who look at things with a queer and trans lens, which BLM certainly does, once organizations do that and they see that kind of weakness, they do nothing but exploit it, which is exactly what's happened. A kind of gullibility and almost religious gullibility in populations to accept what they're told and to live by these strange tenets and mantras that have now worked themselves into most institutions and managed to do so with um, impunity. The only kind of pushback that was coming was from the likes of Jordan Peterson, who was talking about this long before Black Lives Matters happened. But in terms of giving it nitro, you know, really fueling the old beastie, I think BLM was responsible for that. Mm -hmm. In terms of how it's moved out, it's when you think about it, it makes perfect sense. It's really obvious. They took over the teacher training. Uh So what we're seeing is the generations of teachers that have come from the kind of uh, um, education that you received when you were at university in America, they are now occupying teaching positions, or if not that, they certainly aren't much good for anything else other than indoctrination. They will be, you know, they'll be in HR, human resources, or they'll be in administrative positions across organizations. And now they're flexing their muscles and doing so on the basis that the people above them just want to be seen to be kind and be nice. And it's this kind of sickening, you know, sort of everything's going to be fluffy and woolly liberal nonsense. So it's it's a, it's a corruption of the idea of liberal. It's a kind of neoliberalism meets cultural Marxism meets everybody needs to be wrapped in cotton wool. That's where we're at.
1: Right. So now, it's about you, weakness. Me, it is. It is. Now, let me ask you this. Um, as far as critical race theory is concerned, you've probably been following along with the, uh, the non-traversy of critical race theory in this country, and I call it a non-troversy for the following reason, because the people who are in favor of teaching it and the people who are opposed to it. I get the distinct impression that both sides have really don't have any idea what the fuck it is that they either oppose or they support. Um, so why don't you give us a little bit of an explanation of what it is that critical race theory actually proposes?
3: Well. Critical race theory. I mean, I think what we have to be aware of here is, and I will I will, I will sort of flag up a, a quote by Kierkegaard before we start, which is that all the best ideas come from the minority. And before they get to the majority, they turn into absolute nonsense once the majority grasps them. Mm-hmm. And the same could be said of all this. You know, critical race theory in its infancy was a legal issue. It was to do with protecting people who found themselves with multiple intersections of of oppression and of being mistreated by the courts in America. And it was a real thing, you know, that people were, if they were of a particular color, going to be mistreated by the systemic problems that were inherent in the American law system. Mm -hmm. But it escaped the bounds of that. And suddenly it becomes right everyone. Well, it doesn't work once it escapes the bounds of that because the American court system is set up for a particular reason, crime and punishment. Right. So once it escaped from that, it became nonsense. Now it doesn't mean a thing. doesn't, they'll say, oh, you know, well, BAME, and I'll go, yeah, who? And they'll go, well, that person. i go, yeah, but what about that person? Well, he's a bit too light. You know, it's just insane. So it's become a nonsense, like queer theory. Queer theory is fun. You know, if you want a queer Finding Nemo, right? Mm. Or you want to queer the Terminator, you know? Or if you want to look and see what you can do with a, with, with a storyline that's sort of, well, seeing that through a queer lens. It can be right. fun to do over dinner. It's a dinner, it's like a dinner party trick, you know? <laughs> you do it over, after you've had too much bloody wine and you've, you've opened the last bottle of port and the Stilton's particularly right, and then you start. All right, when well, you look at this, look at The Godfather through a queer lens, you know? So that was quite fun. But these things escape the confines of academia who seem to have been able to do this and get away with it scot-free. And once that occurs, you get multiple levels of what I would call mimetic drift.
0: Uh-huh.
3: Right? So right. Richard Dawkins came up with the idea of memes many years ago, and nobody quite knew what to do with it. I think we've discovered what we're going to do with it. So you have this situation whereby there's a kind of cultural Chinese whispers, which is what they used to call it years ago, the idea was you at one end of the trenches in the war, the guy would turn to the guy and say, send a message down the trench, send reinforcements, I'm going to advance. And then the guy would go to the next guy, send the message, send reinforcements." And this would go on down to 50, 60 men. Till it got to the end and they said to the guy at the end, what was the message? And he'd say, send reinforcements, I'm going to advance. You know, so this idea of what was originally the, the, the factors that were meant to be holding it together, once they become part of the bigger milieu of discussion and ideas, turn into absolute nonsense. And at that point, if possible, will be grasped by authoritarians and totalitarians. you only got to look at the work of some of these people involved to see that the the base of this, the root of this, is, is the most disgusting totalitarianism. You well, will comply or else.
1: Well, here's the thing. I mean, I remember the hilarious and ludicrous spectacle when Barack Obama was running for president in the first go around, so in 2008 it would have been, that he was running into opposition from some of the old bulls uh, who came up through the 1960s civil rights movement. So people like Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton, um, especially Jesse Jackson, were questioning Obama's authenticity as an actual black man. Yeah. When running, because the argument was that Obama couldn't be authentic because he was not the descendant of slaves, but Obama was the direct descendant of an African man, which was not considered to be, quote unquote, black enough. And then you have to question, well, what does black mean? then black takes on a whole new meaning, which is, well, then you have to be descended from a certain line. It's almost like a royalist kind of thing at this point. Mm. But Mm. really what that was about, it wasn't about race. It wasn't about skin color. It wasn't about colorism. What it was about was that the old bulls who had been holding the reins of the civil rights movement for years and making a lot of money off of the grifts that they were running, Um, all of a sudden we're faced with young black politicians like Barack Obama and Cory Booker, whom they did not see as being sufficiently, um, they, they, they didn't pass muster because they hadn't kissed the ring enough, you know? And so that's what it was. It was a generational split between the old guard and the new guard. Um, but it was couched in racial terms because it was a dog whistle message that was being sent out that, well, he's not quite one of us, is he? You know,
3: the, I, don't, I mean, I don't think this type of behavior is rare when you see people playing identity politics. You know, identity politics is fatal. And I think America plays a particular brand of identity politics that can be very dangerous full stop. Mm-hmm. Um, the Brit- Britons aren't used to identity politics to the level that the Americans are, so we see Correct. it's very different over here to see people trying to play identity politics, and I, I'm, I'm not sure why that difference exists, although it may be geographical, it may be size, you know, the sheer numbers may have something to do with it, but also it may be about age, the age of the countries. And and that there's right. um, you know there's going to be different formations because of that. So I think you can see that. But it's the same situation there is very interesting because there was we always had a bit of a kerfuffle over here when they when they made gay sex legal mm-hmm. in the in the 1960s. In that Margaret Thatcher in the 1980s had to deal with the infiltration of the gay movement by the paedophile information exchange, and in order to deal with it and keep them away from the kids, she put into, into law a piece of legislation called Section 28. Right. And Section 28 stopped the teaching in councils and in schools of, of homophobia as a as a pretend family relationship. Mm-hmm. The most interesting thing being the law was never used. Now, Thatcher at that time, and it, when you consider that was in the middle of the age crisis, if she would said, right, we're going to put them back in the closet, she'd have had the backing of the public. Mm-hmm. That's the extraordinary thing. But she didn't. And she was able to do something to appease the old guard.
0: Right.
3: So there's, that, that's another. It's not the same, obviously, but there's another example of a generational handover of the of of the reins, so to speak Mm -hmm. but the inclusion of this idea of he's not quite black enough i would i'd be skeptical and i would want to know a bit more detail about what they said because i think that sounds to me like the old guard saying actually let's do let's do critical race theory and i don't think they would have i think there's i I, i'm i'm excuse me excuse me for being skeptical i think the media is inherently inherently left-wing and I think that the likelihood would have been that that reporting may have may have been from a left wing front. I don't know the exact history of it, though. It's fascinating.
1: No, and actually, it's the idea. I, I have to tell you, it actually ran on Fox because Fox was so tickled by
3: this. <laughs> oh, I imagine they were. I imagine they were. I mean, it's it's the, it's the kind of thing that tickles you. But it's such a it's such a ridiculous question to ask. And Douglas right. Murray, Douglas Murray, who I know has, has done his stint in America, says that when it comes to all this, it feels like the train sort of drew up to the station, everybody was about to disembark and suddenly it took off again and went in completely the wrong direction. Right. Well, it does. I think it feels like that to a very great degree in that we've now got a situation whereby everything's become about parent oppression, even if you're a child. Right. And what you said earlier on about the teaching of critical race theory in America and the people who think it shouldn't be taught, this isn't a question of teaching it. They're practicing it. Uh-huh. And that's different. They're not teaching it. They're practicing it.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Now, if I want to teach somebody on my course that you come on and you know, I want to teach them about something, I might give you two or three ideas around the topic that are different.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Not my ideas, but ideas around the topic that are different. Or I might just tell you the story and go make of that what you will. That's not what's happening. They're teaching. They're not just teaching it. They're practicing it. And I see the whole thing has got a, a huge kind of religiosity to it.
1: I'm glad that you know, mentioned religiosity because I actually wanted to ask you something about that very thing. So um, you had made a claim in the excellent podcast that is hosted by my friends Clive Simpson and Dennis Cavanaugh. For those of you who are not familiar with it, it's called Queen's Speech. It's on my friend Clive's uh, YouTube channel and it's Clive Simpson is the name of the YouTube channel. And you had talked, Barry, about um, the interest that Black Lives Matter had uh, a policy position of breaking down the family, which is something that we also find in queer theory. Um, now, I did not believe you, so I decided that I was going to go look it up, and I'll be goddamned if you were not right. Now, um, so here's the thing. Um, this is something, and I was telling Negs this the other day, this is something that you find very often in cults, Uh, a cult like Synanon, for example, and other cults where the aim is to focus the attention of the adults completely on the needs of the cult and the cult leader. And so therefore it becomes necessary to break up the nuclear family, either by prohibiting marriage or putting marriage on a um, a time limit, but certainly um, one of the goals, and this is something that Sinanon did among other cults, where they separated the children from the parents so that then the children could be indoctrinated separately from the parents and then perhaps eventually grow up to educate the parents. This is all very Orwellian, very Maoist, very Stalinist, but um, you were talking about the goals of, uh, of queer theory and the goals of BLM, um, and also talking about the connection between, um, not anarchism, but you were talking about the, the straight line towards pedophilia. And I would love it if you would discuss that.
3: Okay, yes. I mean, I, I think one of the most interesting thing I, I could tell you right now is something you've just said resonate with me. When I, when I first got involved in this mess of, mess of a subject, um, I, I, was, I was very ill and I was taken into hospital because I thought I'd had a stroke. And it turned out I hadn't. I had a block vein in my neck, but it's a hell of an operation. It was done by an extraordinary surgeon. And, and then eventually I was, I was awoken by these two nurses, and I was on high-dependency unit for two days. And then I came back and got involved in this, and I wrote a book called Cult, right,
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> which mm-hmm. I wrote
3: high on morphine in two weeks and posted on Amazon.
1: I hate you for that, by the way. I've been trying to write a book for 50 years, and I've never managed.
3: <laughs> Don't hate me until you, try, until you try and read it right and my friend said to me he said it's bloody unreadable because <laughs> i was high as a kite he said unless you've heard your voice you can't read it he said you need to understand the tenor of your voice to read the book so this thing's on amazon and it was up there and i called it cult and this is because i was beginning to put together in my mind what was going on and everybody will find the same when you start to get involved in this is you just have to go hang on a minute i'm looking for the patterns and i can't find them but you make a point about where does queer theory Go with pedophilia. And this is a very easy um connection to make, and it makes sense. In November of 2021, Judith Butler, the high priestess of queer theory, had an interview with a political um guy in our in our in our country here called Owen Jones, who is this kind of rancorous fellow on the far left. And she stated without any hesitation whatsoever that queer theory was about. Breaking down the boundaries between adulthood and childhood.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Quite stated it live on his YouTube. Now people then go, oh, Peter right? But we have to be careful here in taking too simplistic a view of what she meant, because although yes, it may mean that they want to break down the barriers between adult and child in terms of sexually, but that's just one bit. The real game and the real end result is to actually destroy the idea of childhood altogether.
1: And what does that mean?
3: It means that they can, they are able then to do with children as they would with adults, which is indoctrinate them with what they like so that, as you've already said, they can then teach the, the, teach the adults that are their parents and we, we are truly in Mao territory. Right. So you erase the idea of childhood altogether. And in doing so, you then remove the ownership of the child from the parent and you destroy the nuclear family. Right. That's the game. Right? So it's not just about that people might want people will exploit that to get access to children we know that if you set up a priestly class that's what happens we so, know this from history but what we're what you're seeing here is the the idea of the concept of childhood being utterly destroyed and in doing so that produces a safeguarding nightmare because you want to be able to look after children from people that are going to do them harm well if the child doesn't exist as an idea who you protect him?
0: right That's right you know and it's only
3: got it's only got to be one or two generations and they won't even remember us so you're right about the maoism connection
0: Mm -hmm.
3: does that does that make sense i think it's it's too easy to jump straight to pedophilia you've got to understand the whole thing
1: yeah of course i mean obviously yes but but as we see as we see where look what is the tagline of the radical trans rights movement this never happens. I cannot tell you how many times I have been told by people who are blind adherents to the more radical elements of the trans Uh, Movement, this never happens. Women do not get hurt in prison by men. Men Mm. do not do not go into rape crisis centers Men. Well, of course, I mean, when you redefine a woman as anything that we say a woman is, then you say men, you know, men who say they're women are women. So, yes, it's all women in those prisons and it's just women hurting each other. No, it's men hurting women. That's right now. The thing is, though, that you and I both know that every single movement that has involved a sexual liberation of any kind, whether it was gay rights, um, you know, women's, whatever, you know, or indeed these cults that try to break down the bonds of the nuclear family you see that there are elements and i'm not saying that the gay rights movement is this way i am saying that we all know goddamn well that pedophile organizations have been trying to infiltrate the gay rights movement for decades
0: oh
3: they did that's what
1: pi was right and they have been fought uh, there has been a great fight to keep these elements out of the umbrella of out from under the umbrella but when you had philosophers like Michel Foucault and indeed Jean paul Sartre and Simon de Beauvoir and other luminaries uh French intellectuals who signed a letter trying to reduce the uh, the age of consent, what do we think that is for?
3: oh that that's absolutely absolutely what it's for. now the thing with the thing with Foucault, I think in particular is once you, once you begin to twig that that actually i think that a lot of his work was an apologia for his right. own sexu- for his own sexual proclivities Correct. once you once you go back and read his work it sort of jumps out at you like a rabbit out of a hole you like, oh my god there it is it's there in plain sight hence the obfuscating language right but it's well, but yes. we also have to we, we also have to consider i think in order to get the get, get a sort of wider a wider lens if you will that everything that that they they think everything is constructed by language correct right they think it's all constructed by language right in which case they can bring things into bring things into being just by talking about them that's their reason for living but they can also destroy everything else by changing language now we they're utilizing essentially the idea of a priestly class mm-hmm. now by that i mean they will pick the the poor individual, because they've got this, this immutable characteristic, must be held above others and must be treated in in a better way than others. Um, it could be the trans the, the figure of the trans woman, you know, this idea of a of a of a terribly persecuted and all the stuff that comes with it. They have to set up this priestly class and it ends up giving them a get out of jail free card because that's exactly what happens when you have a priestly class, in which case, people that have who have a problem in terms of wanting to get their hands on children will attempt to occupy the priestly class. Right. This always happens. Correct. The same as you've said about trying to infiltrate the gay movement to give themselves some kind of respectability which they do not deserve. So yes, it, of course it happens, and of course we must be vigilant to it. And the best frame for, framework for that is safeguarding. And the UK has one of the best safeguarding frameworks in the world in terms of child protection. So that's you're very. Tr- it's very true to say that. But it would be uh, remiss of me to say that that's the biggest problem, if because that can be controlled very, very locally by parents and by um, safeguarding professionals within organisations. That's massively different from 250 kids turning up to some drag show where a queer theorist is going to read them a queer story that completely undermines the idea that the wolf was the bad guy in red riding hood right so there can be that there, there could be a much more dangerous ideological predation going on here do you see do you see my point
1: yes i do i do yeah uh, however, let, let me let me just point this out. All right, so when I was studying these philosophers in college, I did not know anything about their backgrounds. And all of the all of the philosophies that I was learning were so incredibly abstract that it it didn't seem like any of it had any applicability to the real world. And at the time, it didn't, you know, we sort of went on our merry way uh, because obviously this was before the internet and before these ideas could be, Dispersed widely, and mm. then um, reinterpreted by kids who didn't know what the fuck they were talking about, and yes. they didn't, uh, you know, and they didn't understand some of the the impact of what they were saying. So, for example, for example, um, when I mean, listen, when I read about John Money's experiments, um, ex- especially what he did to those twins, or Kinsey, and I'd love for you to talk about that. And what, what, how do people who are adherents of queer theory explain away these grotesque human experiments that were conducted by these individuals who are held, I think, in pretty high regard um, in many circles? Uh, and what, what do you have to say about that?
3: Well, the, the ability to protect one's, one's belief system is innate. Otherwise, we wouldn't have religion. So that 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 strength right. of that strength of that strength and that that sort of zealous fervour that people who are acolytes of this particular belief system display will argue blue in the face that black is white in order to stop themselves from having to recognise that there's an extremely creaky um, foundation to this entire edifice. Mm-hmm. Now you're right to say that in an, in, Fra- in France when the Frankfurt School, sorry, in France the work of Foucault um, was, I mean they're, they're pop stars. I mean in, philosophers in France are like pop stars. Right. And I would, I would, I would have to ask the question. I'd like to know how how good the original translation was from the start. You know, so I, I would imagine that it's quite possible that this particular edifice had absolute nonsense sort of lodged into it from the first t- from the first time it was ever translated. And as you say, people don't understand it, or they will use it for their own ends, and it does become. Uh, The kind of thing that's almost a retrospective activity, because if you think about years ago before the Gutenberg press, you'd have had a situation (laughs) whereby whereby uh, the priests would have held the power. Well, the Gutenberg press broke that power. Mm -hmm. It broke it. And all of a sudden, they didn't have that power over the people anymore. And over hundreds of years, the people learned to read and understand. And they were able to then say, well, hang on a minute, these you know, these guys aren't telling us the truth. But again, you're back to the priestly class. And it doesn't matter what the subject matter is, whether it be about Foucault and queer theory, or whether it be any other theory or idea or philosophy, you will always have the kind of drift that we've seen, the mimetic drift we've seen, where what was the original tension actually becomes something completely the opposite by the time you've taken it 20 or 30 years down the road. But we've seen signs of this coming, this kind of construction of worlds that aren't real. If you've ever seen John Carpenter's In the Mouth of Madness, it's -hmm. it's entirely about queer theory. Mm -hmm. The idea that this book, the written word, is going to come to life. And it was out about the same time as you were doing your university degree, I should imagine, around that right. time. You know, so we, this warning has been there for a very long time. That this is that this is coming. And I think that there's people who have attached themselves to part of it and don't realize, as you've said, the history of exactly what it is that they are taking part in or that the eventual act is. To, you ask your average person, should we do away with the nuclear family? They're not going to say Yes. <laughs> right they're gonna say no you mm-hmm. know so this this concept that they're so they're sneakily trying to do it but they they started with no debate because they don't want anybody to talk about the reality of the situation but what's the problem is their 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 ability to make people think that what they're doing is nice and to, and to put it as something that's a good thing is so far removed from the reality of the roots of it that it's very hard for people to make that connection without seeing the pattern mm-hmm. right so you, that's what the warrior mind the warrior teacher program does is it helps people to build their narrative how did they get from the beginnings to the to where we are now and understand it a much greater degree but you've also got to remember that human gullibility is universal right that we can fall for even the cleverest of people will fall and i will i will go to to um hanlon's razor which is one of my favorite of the razors to say that never put down to wickedness that which you can put down to stupidity correct And I think that much of this, when it does end, will end with a whimper rather than a bang, as people do a quiet reverse ferret and fuck off in the other direction.
1: Okay, so tell me this, because you mentioned this in passing, um, but I do want to sort of drill down on this. So um, what exactly is wrong with having drag queens read stories to children? What is the problem with that?
3: Well, uh, first off, as somebody who's dabbled in drag myself.
0: Mm hmm. (laughs)
3: I used to have a character called Fanny Butter. Stop it. Right? I'll show you the picture one. I'll show you the picture one day. Right? Okay. Um, and we used to raise money for charity. And most drag queens that I know, that's what they do. You know, they spend their time entertaining, entertaining the gays in, in the village, and uh, you know, or doing stuff to raise money for charity. Um, it's it, the fact that they're drag queens is a queer act.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Right? They're not drag queens. And I've made this distinction. There's a video on my channel about the difference between American drag and British drag. Because there's a huge difference, right? What they are doing is not drag. What they are doing is queer performativity, right? And queer performativity doesn't just involve them dressing up in silly dresses and going and seeing the kids. It involves them dressing up in silly dresses, going and seeing the kids and practicing queer theory. Hence, the wolf becomes the bad guy, uh, the good guy, mm-hmm. and grandma becomes the bad guy,
0: mm-hmm.
3: right? Because she won't accept the wolf, right? right. That's, pure, that's pure queer performativity. It's designed to undermine the very systems of understanding that a child might have. Now you think about how important, if you're, if you're a parent, I've said this before, I think you walk the most extraordinary line and you and I take my hat off to parents who are able to walk that line and do it well between scaring the shit out of your child so they do not get themselves hurt mm-hmm. and then telling them it's not as scary as they think it is so that they don't become stunted and not explore. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a bloody fine line, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That's as fine a line as you get. So these parents have to do that. What these people want to come in and, and do is say that to the four or five-year-old that's hearing the story of Little Red Riding Hood, the four or five-year-old should know that there are wolves there. Right. They should know. And then the parent will gradually let them out a little bit more at time as they understand more about the world. They want to go in and say, no, there's no wolves. The wolves are the ones that, that, that are ones that should be, should be the ones that are uh, seen as the good guys. And grandma's the bad guy because she won't accept the wolf. They're telling children that what their parents are doing to raise them is the antithesis of what they should be doing Mm. now the fact they go in and pretend to be drag you know queer performativity they're wearing all these ridiculous outfits is one thing right but they could be going in dressed in a suit and we wouldn't know they're doing it Mm
0: -hmm.
3: so actually they're doing it in that way you need to look at what they're reading as well as what they're presenting now alongside that you've also got these drag queens that are doing the most extraordinary things in front of children and you think what the hell are you doing Mm-hmm. If you did that in public in a park, you'd be arrested.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: It's that simple. Mm-hmm. But yet they're getting away with it because we have made a priestly class. Mm-hmm.
0: It
3: mm-hmm. all comes back to that.
1: So what exactly... Look, when when I say I have a problem with BLM, it's it's very it's a problem of a very practical nature. I mm-hmm. do not support any organization that embezzles funds that are supposed to be used for activism and uses them to buy luxury homes for the heads of the organization. I, I don't support that. Um, but you have a philosophical problem with BLM. Yes, yeah.
3: yes, absolutely. Which is. That that I have a philosophical problem with any organisation or any idea that says that the world is is is, a, is the result of power and oppression narratives. Mm-hmm. When we know clearly from the fact that we're able to do what we're doing right now that the world is actually made up of competency. It's got mm-hmm. nothing to do with power and oppression.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: What do you think? Power and oppression gave us medicine. Power and oppression gave us digital. You know hand phones that we can use that are digital. Power and oppression gave us the most extraordinary special effects for film. No, it's competency that's run the world ever since the Enlightenment. It's competency that's got us where we are. So it wouldn't matter if they're Black Lives Matter or Three three Little Pigs. If, if their shtick is that everything comes from power and oppression and you have to examine your power and oppression narratives to keep living, then I've got a problem with them because I'm not living my life like that and nobody else should be asked to either. Mm-hmm. It's deranging. It makes people go mental because
0: mm-hmm.
1: mm-hmm.
3: you're always looking for that so who's got the power? Where's the racism? Where's the homophobia? It's absolute insanity. And it needs to be stopped. It needs to be stopped because it is damaging to the very fabric of our society. And it pits people against each other, which is, of course, the whole idea of attempting to uh, destroy and bring uh, bring bring to an end the Western way of world, which they hate so much. I and mean, you think if they hated it so much, they'd leave. Why do they just leave? Mm-hmm. Go. There's plenty of other places to be. Go. They never do you know and it's over here we get them and they support they support all this stuff and i always say right what are you supporting well i support black lives matter and i support immigration i you know they're all they're all about the supporting all the stuff that should be supported and i'm like oh fine give up your house Mm -hmm. give up your job give it to somebody else because you're white you know and you've got privilege give it up and give it to somebody else Right. You know, then they'll te- they'll tell us that meritocracy is, is a problem for, because it comes from whiteness. Right. Meritocracy is a problem. Yeah, the, because the Egyptians weren't meritocratic when they set about building their civilization, were they? It's insane.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: You know, it's absolutely <laughs> bonkers. And it's children in particular it sends around the bend. Right, because you've got four or five-year-old kids that are together. Their skin color doesn't matter until you tell them. Mm-hmm. That's what it's about it's about breaking down the western narrative that runs right from the enlightenment right to where we are now and doing so so that they can upset what they see as heteronormativity it's all the same thing
0: Mm -hmm.
3: Mm -hmm. well
1: i'm 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 also the teeth i'm also philosophically opposed um maybe it's because i'm an atheist maybe it's because i was raised as a jew but i am philosophically opposed to the concept of original sin um, and I do not believe that a person is imprinted with certain characteristics uh, when they are born by virtue of their sex, their skin color, uh, you know, their nationality, their religion, well. whatever the case may be. And I find that this sort of broad brush um, uh, criticism or this broad brush alienation of an entire class of people based on an external characteristic it seems to me to be crazy but that really is at the root of critical race theory i believe
3: well i think it's at the root of a lot of it i mean i always say that they're the sparrows from game of thrones that's what they are they're the sparrows it's that simple really Mm -hmm. and it's 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 the religiosity is something that i'm not surprised by because we kill god Mm -hmm. You know, we said God doesn't matter anymore. Right. So now it wouldn't it might not matter to me and it might not matter to you. It might not matter to either of you. It might not matter to the people that are watching today. But to some people, it does matter. And if we're not going to have a central narrative that people can attach themselves to, whether that be a religious one or an atheist one, it better be a damn good one. Because if not, what we're seeing is the replacement of the narrative of the Enlightenment by grievance, power, oppression and people. Who wish to make your life a misery because they are totalitarian right that's now you can't point to them they'll go which ones because because this has been an ongoing project for so long there are lots of people that are doing this and they don't know they are you, people don't even know the difference between equality of opportunity and equity right right so we'll start there they don't know the difference so that's a really important thing so they're pushing equity you know, well, they're pushing equality of outcome. Well, we need to gerrymander this so we can get more black people or more Asian people or whatever. It may be more gay people. You saw this. I think it was Yale, wasn't it, who changed their admission policy and made it hor- harder for Asian people to get in. I think it so. Was they could get more black people. In. It, it
1: was it was Harvard. Uh, Harvard. Was a, there Sorry. was a there was a lawsuit at Harvard because um, the Asian students uh, were saying that their uh, applications were being weighted negatively. Uh, That's right. Because there was such a high percentage of Asians being admitted and Harvard decided to put the brakes on that. And so Asian students or Asian applicants sued the university and it kind of opened the door into how these admissions decisions are made at elite universities.
3: Uh, it's insane to imagine that the, the hallowed halls of academia, which in the UK we support publicly, they, they're public institutions and we fund them publicly in many ways, Mm -hmm. um, would would think that it was a good idea to get rid of meritocracy. Mm -hmm. And that's insane. Can you imagine picking the next generation of people who are going to build nuclear reactors Mm -hmm. by whether or not they're black, gay or trans? Mm -hmm. It's the most insane idea. And there's that lovely story about the kid in the class with the teacher and the teachers testing the kids. And, and the, the kids are moaning and groaning like they do, because they said every time we have a test, this lot get high marks and we get low marks and you know all that nonsense. It's not fair. It should be distributed evenly. And the teacher said, OK, we'll do it then. So we'll do it. You take a test this Friday and then we'll even the scores and everybody will get the same marks." So they all took the test, and that Friday they all got a B. Right. Mm-hmm. The following Friday, they all got a D. And the Friday after that, they all got an ungraded. Because those that were doing well didn't bother because they knew it didn't matter because they'd have it taken off of them. And those that didn't do anything at all continued to do nothing at all. And eventually the entire class broke down into rancor, hatred and rage because they were blaming each other for what had happened. Well, that's equity. That's equality of outcome. That's what happens. That classroom is a snapshot of China under Mao, of Pol Pot, right, of all of the worst of dictatorships we've ever seen. That's what that's what equity does equality of outcome it is murderous in intent we shouldn't be saying well let's do this let's get a we should be saying no there it is it takes everything remove it because we should want people who are going to operate on me when i'm ill to be the best in their class because they proved it not right. so that we've got enough of them because everybody feels safe about it no We want it and in order to conquer the world we need which we which we are doing well and continue to do well and conquer the sheer horror of some some of the existence that we have to live in we have done so by elevating those who are the best and paying them well to serve us for as long as they can Mm -hmm. well if you want to get rid of that feel free but it will be a disaster it will be the end of everything because we will end up with incompetent people in positions that they should not be occupying in jobs they should not be doing Mm -hmm. and at that point everything will fall to pieces
1: Right. Right. Makes sense. Yeah, that is correct. But the question then is, um, I mean, you've seen the way these alleged uh, debates carry on on social media with dogpiling, uh, with ganging up, with reporting, with all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And it seems like now it is impossible to sit down and have a reasonable conversation about any of these topics without being rigorously and brutally attacked on all sides by very bad faith uh, individuals making bad faith arguments so uh, the trans issue is only the most recent example of where we've seen this where if you come out and you make the statement that you do not believe that intact male predators should be locked up with women for example Uh then you are subject to a barrage of abuse you are called every type of phobe ist uh and whatever Uh, And it is impossible to have a conversation about this, a logical conversation. Um, And you are then turning around and you are gaslighting the women who are in prison. uh, And you're being told, and they're being told, no, but if you complain that there is a man who is locked up in your cell, then we are going to punish you for going against the grain. Um, We saw that grotesque example in the UK, where there was a female only ward and there was a male patient on that ward and he raped one of the female patients. And the woman who complained was subject to a year long campaign of abuse and gaslighting by hospital staff, who were insisting to the police that it was impossible that a man had raped this woman because it was an all female ward. And eventually Mm -hmm. the hospital had to break down and admit, oh, yeah, by the way, now that you mention it, there was a transgender woman on the ward. And then it all came to light, but the, the victim was subject to the most appalling abuse. Um, and the question then is, well, what the hell are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to combat this delusional worldview?
3: This, that's how we do it. Mm-hmm. This, what we're doing now, running the WARA teacher program, talking to other people, spreading the message, getting out there. You have gotta remember that there are very there are very few people who know about this. Right. It's great for us because we're, you know, we, we generally we sort of involved in it. We want to know what's going on. We keep up to date. We make sure that our knowledge is as as as, as uh, recent as it can be. But most people don't know about this and most people don't give a damn. They don't know and they don't give a damn. And they can't believe half of it because the stories seem so insane. Right. And we have to remember that where we are in this particular scrap, you can go so far that talking to somebody who knows nothing becomes almost impossible. Mm hmm. Because you've got to break it down. That's the hard bit is breaking it down, which I found so hard with the program is breaking down. What do we need to see and how do we need to see in order to be able to understand it? But doing this is the answer. And also lawfare, which is what will happen. Right. Mm -hmm. So there'll there'll be lots of bouncing about of things that will be going on. But it's changing the public mind in a culture war is done uh, by attrition bit by bit by bit, you know, where you can possibly make a change and people will wake up. And they will listen to us when we come up with a more positive message than the other ones are spouting. Because at the moment, they can be kind and think they are just by saying certain things and get away with it. It's what I think Jordan Peterson called, and I like the term very much, compassionate narcissism. Mm-hmm. And it's a very dangerous force. So people want to be, they want to sit in their little, you know, they don't, want to, they don't want to know, do they really? I'm all right, thanks. You know, it's I'm OK until it comes, until it crawls up the garden path. And it affects them people generally won't get involved they generally don't want to know so it's it's we have to look very carefully at who it is that we target when we're doing work for example or we're we're trying to get people to change their minds because you've got a certain sector that there's no point in talking to at all because they're so ideologically captured that you're just wasting your time but they're not the ones that are going to be voting or they're not the ones that are going to be changing minds you've got to ask yourself who are the ones that are changing minds and how do we reach them That's the most important question, which I think is what you're asking me. You know, so at that point, you've got to start doing something. Well, the Warrior Teacher Programme is my small attempt at doing something. In other areas, we've got things that have happened within universities where people are collaborating now to form organisations that fight against it. One of my friends has started an organisation in the public sector that is now gender critical and they are now visible gender critical. So the conversation is happening. And I think that's how we do it. It is a gradual pushback. It's a, if you will, it's a long march of our own.
1: Right, right. Well, listen, I mean, <clears throat> for me, um, it has been absolutely horrifying, horrifying to watch uh, the way that the medical establishment has completely dropped the ball. Um, they seem to have forgotten that they took a Hippocratic oath, some of them. Yeah. And I'm sure that if you ask some of these surgeons who are removing the healthy breast tissue of young girls, Mm. they would insist that they were not, in fact, doing harm, that they were helping. Oh, absolutely. The problem is, for example, when we see a statistic thrown out like, well, if you do not. if you do not agree to taking the steps that are necessary to allow a young person to transition, meaning the drugs and the surgery, then that child runs a high risk of suicide. But nobody bothers to question two things. One, where do these statistics come from? Where did we get this idea that there is such a high rate of suicide among kids who don't transition? Because this is a very new phenomenon, a very new You're phenomenon. are the bodies, but it's, it's, and, it's And the other question too is, have there been any studies done of people who do transition and then commit suicide? I mean, we need to look at the other side of it and we haven't done so because we, I believe, are taking a look at statistics that have been cooked by interest groups. I still cannot find the source of these numbers that we are using in order to justify the, the massacring, basically, of child of childhood bodies, you know.
3: I, I would say that th- there's a great site called Stats for Gender. Do you know about this? No, I don't. Stats for Gender. Go and have a look. You'll be amazed what they've got there. Plus, I, I don't know whether your viewers are aware, we are currently having what's called the CAST report compiled in the UK, mm-hmm. which is a very in-depth analysis of what's happened within the medical establishment. And they've already come out and said that social transition is not – is a psychotherapeutic act. Don't do it, right? Because it's dangerous, okay? Mm -hmm. It's what's called iatrogenic, which means it causes the harm that it it says is solving, right? So the the edifice is beginning to crumble. And I think many people are watching the UK right now. Certainly I hear from my friends in Australia and Canada, Israel, Sweden, are saying we're watching the UK to see what's going to happen here. Because I think the UK have, have managed to be able to push back against this, ironically, because of socialized Medicine.
1: I was going to say, I was going to ask you if you think that there's a connection between the the socialized medicine aspect of some of these countries and the fact that um, a lot of these ideologies took root so quickly. Maybe it's because a general order can go out in a way that it can't go out in this country, for example.
3: Um, you make you ask a very good question, and I would answer with a resounding yes. That's exactly it. If you look at Sweden, Norway, where they were well ahead of the game, yeah, and we, we're sort of coming up behind them, it's that the 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 idea of socialised medicine means that it was accepted quicker, but it's going to be seen for what it is quicker. Uh-huh. So I think the cash, the cash report will, I think, provide some comfort for people working on this in the United States and in Australia and Canada and everywhere else, Spain, that will mean that they've got something where they can go, hang on a minute, we need to pause. And at that point, if we get it right, the pause will be global. Mm-hmm. That, that's what will do it. So it, this, the cash report is a very important report that's going to be coming out hopefully in the next uh, next few months and, and will give us a very, very firm overview of what's happened in the NHS. But also, it's it's you you have the, there's a bit of an old boys network thing going on in the UK. All these people that were at university went into plum jobs in the NHS. Mm-hmm. But there's an there's an irony to this for me of the fact that it might be a, a socialist state in itself, which is the NHS, is the undoing of gender ideology. I think is a wonderful conceit. Right. It wasn't. It, do you get what I'm saying? In that there's this this sort of as you've called it, cultural Marxism, and bearing in mind that the Brits. We magpie from all sorts of places, so we'll quite happily take an idea from here and an idea from there, is that the idea of socialised medicine came directly from the Marxist tradition of, you know, looking after everyone. And the fact that that might be the very thing that's put a stop to it and undoes it fills me with untold joy. Mm Right, right. There's an irony there. Yeah. So I think, you know, it's it's very easy to be very dark about this and to think that everything is dreadful. But I think we have to start looking forward and recognize that in every war, whether it be a culture war or not, there are always those who will be genuine victims and that we have to make sure that when we when we get through this, that we're able to retain the knowledge we've learned so that we never, ever make a mistake like this again. Mm-hmm. That's well, the hardest
1: You would have to have a heart of stone to listen to the stories that are being told by the detransitioners. You and would try and try to write them off as pawns of the right wing yeah and that kind of thing when you have uh kids who have altered their bodies in a way that in many ways is irreversible and that was the other thing that was so galling is that the puberty blockers were sold as harmless
3: mm-hmm.
1: um the the hormone treatment was also sold as something that could be easily reversed if somebody were yeah. to change their mind. Yeah. And that is not true. That is not no. true. And so now not parents, true at all. parents are rising up and saying wait a second, we did not give informed consent because we were not given the entire array of possible outcomes. If in fact a child goes on these medication or these drugs for X period of time, <clears throat> the voices will remain altered. Uh they will remain sterile. Uh many, many things that could happen as a result Oste- osteoporosis,
3: of osteoporosis, eye problems, spine problems. It just right. gets worse the more you look.
1: Exactly. 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 And
3: sui- suicidality post transition is high.
1: Mm-hmm. It's high. And I would still very much want to know um, why it is that so many young women on the autism spectrum are claiming that they are actually boys. Why it is that and why it is that there is so much internalized misogyny among these girls. What is it about their bodies? What is it about being a girl that has repulsed them to such an extent or frightened them to such an extent? And to what extent are parents who do not want a gay child sending their kids to these clinics or or in the case of Susie Green from Mermaids, ex-Mermaids, yeah. uh, the woman who took her 16 year old son to Thailand to castrate him?
3: Yeah, um, I mean, you, uh, the Tavistock Clinic, there was a dark joke that went around the Tavistock, a story told by Dr. Bell, who was there, that if we continue the way we're going, there'll be no gay kids left. right that's how bad the homophobia was that they were seeing i mean mm-hmm. it, gender identity ideology and queer theory are profoundly homophobic anyway mm-hmm. you know profoundly homophobic pro- profoundly misogynist profoundly anti everything it's 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 a dreadful thing and people need to start talking about it i think half the problem with this is right that we're very good at knowing when the right's gone too far
0: mm-hmm.
3: i just yes. don't think we're very good at knowing when the left has
1: oh my god And i are... think
3: you know if, if a kid turned up in a university with a Nazi hat on. Mm-hmm. There would be absolute uproar. when mm-hmm. they can turn up with a communist T-shirt on and nobody says anything.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: You know, it's so there's, there's something about we're beginning to understand what happens when the left goes wrong.
1: Well, you know, it's funny that you say that because I've always been criticized by my friends because I'm much more critical of the left than I am of the Mm. right and i always explain that as uh well when the right does something that i disagree with and that i think is excessive or ridiculous to me that is a dog bites man story that's how i expect them to behave and i expect i expect to disagree but when the left goes completely off the rails that's when i take notice because i consider those people to at least at one point to have been my people and i'm going to be far more critical of somebody in my own family in my own circle Um, And I mean, I don't know how old you are, Barry, but I'm assuming that we're all Generation X here. And I think that a lot of us have found ourselves to be politically homeless uh, because of the extremes on both sides. Um, I know that, for example, when I read my friend Nick Cohen's book, What's Left, I became extremely depressed. And I found that I had um, a like-minded individual who was criticizing the left for things that need to be criticized. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing it getting even crazier here in the United States, where we see that the political parties have been seized by their extremes. And maybe the the Democrats haven't been completely co-opted by the squad yet, but it is happening. Um, and a lot of people are being left out of this conversation because they cannot relate to the individuals who are supposed to be leading them. It's it's. Uh, yeah. It's, this, this, is, this is
3: this. Yes. That's the word I was going to use. It's disorientated. Yeah. But you got, you know, take heart, folks. Right. The left didn't leave you. You didn't you didn't leave the left. They left you.
1: Exactly. Right.
3: They left you. Right. They're now down. They're now down the other end of the bathroom, you know, sitting on the, the the dildo of absolute mad leftism. Right. It wasn't you. It was them. Right. right. You've not shifted much at all. I imagine, you know, mm-hmm. so it's not you. It's them that's left. And I think it's it's the concept is is such that we don't understand the left to the degree that we think that we do. Mm-hmm. And I think also that our communication and media over the past 50 or 60 years has been driven by the left and the liberals.
0: Mm-hmm. So
3: actually you haven't heard much other than from the left. And it's amazing when you start to look at the number of lies they've told in order to keep the story going. And now that some of them are showing their true colours, but it's not everybody. And mm-hmm. I think we have to take heart from the fact that we've often gone to extremes and seen, seen extremes happen, but we are very, very good at turning around and going, the water's just a bit too cold for me to get in today.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: So that's that's what I'm hoping for. And that's very British of me to think that way, because the Brits are like that. They go up to the edge and go, mm, no, I don't think so. And turn around and go back the other way, because mm-hmm. our politics is so pendulum driven. Right. And the same thing may well happen in the United States um, if you can keep your right in control because we don't have the problem with the right that you do
0: that's
1: true you don't
3: you You know we haven't got that because we we dealt with them rather harshly right so they tend i mean last time we had somebody rise up for the right they stuck him on a program called question time and he made a complete ass of himself in front of the entire country who was that nick griffin I think his name was. Well, that's very hard,
1: right, though. That's, that's yeah. very hard, right? That I mean, they just took it. They just took
3: him to pieces. They, right. It just he, he fell apart on television.
1: And because... that's the thing. I mean, I listened to you guys. I mean, you were talking about how um, you don't have the issue with like racial identity politics that we do. And it was funny because after Rishi Sunak was elevated to prime minister. Um, I posted on Facebook and I asked my British friends, why is it? I mean, if somebody like Rishi Sunak had been elected president of the United States, um all the groups that supported him would be throwing their backs out patting themselves on the back and dislocating their shoulders saying isn't it amazing look we've elevated this man of color and in britain nobody gave a shit it no, was amazing i mean the indian community was very excited for obvious oh. reasons but there oh. was never a big issue made about the fact that he was your first indian prime minister and one would think well in the u.s we love to you know boast about the firsts and that what that says about us as a country in oh. Britain it was like yeah okay you know he's Indian we're going to abuse him the way we abuse every other politician but we're not going to make any kind of a fuss over the fact that he's a man with brown skin and I found that to be amazing it was it yeah. nothing could have highlighted the differences between our two countries more than that event I think
3: I mean it makes it sort of I, I sort of end up having to say in that old trope about the English being fair You know, Mm -hmm. that there's a sort of well. Is he the best man for the job? Good. Right. Let's see what he does. Then we'll give him a chance. Give him a chance. You know, because we because we like to see people succeed and do well. Um, And I think and then we like to tear them down. That's how we work. Right. Exactly. Yes. Right. There's no bad thing in that. Whereas the Americans are much more forgiving, I think. You know, the the president will do something awful and then Americans go, it's all right. It's just him. You know, it's, <laughs> there, there seems to be a difference. I don't know what it is. I really don't know what it is. I well, don't. Also, I honestly
1: don't. I have to say that, as far as the left is concerned, I think there's a huge difference between somebody like Christopher Hitchens going to Cuba to pick coffee to show his. Um, his adherence to the cause of the left and Castro and all that kind of stuff. And people taking kids to a clinic to get mutilated. I, I think oh, yeah. we've we've yeah. sort of gone off the rails when we're talking about the difference between those two mentalities.
3: Um and it's all also you've got to remember that we've got a size issue as well. I mean you the America's enormous, you know? Right. Absolutely enormous. And you've got a huge number of people there. You know, it's it's if we're turning around a tanker, the hell are you turning around? Right, you know, because it's but the other thing being, of course, once you begin the turn, the turn can often be more uh, at, at more speed, perhaps, as people gradually get the message. The end will be faster. So it's Brit, Brits. are terribly set in their ways. It's, mm-hmm. it's, don't frighten the horses, you know. Right, you know. So it's it's that's what we tend to be like. And what we don't like is extremism. We never have. So i think it's going to be interesting to see how this fares as it enters the marketplace of ideas and involves more people because more people are gradually becoming aware but it's going to be a slow process it's culture it's going to be a wave you know i'm i'm going to see in about half an hour i'm going to see calvin robinson speak this evening
1: mm-hmm. who's
3: a guy have you come across calvin no well he's a he's a guy he's a a, a, a priest who, who works in britain and he's, he's on gb news he's a fascinating man and he's got no time for any of this nonsense And I'm going to see him speak this evening, so I'm looking forward to that. And I should be Mm -hmm. leaving shortly. It's just that I'm waiting to see him trounce everything that I I hate, which is Mm -hmm. what he does. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, we're gradually trying to get people to meet without getting cancelled. So we don't tell anybody where we are or where we're going. Right. It's the strangest situation. I feel like I'm part of the French resistance.
1: Well, that's exactly one of the things that I wanted to bring up with you, which is, you know, Around these parts, if, for example, you express concerns about uh, children and indoctrination and that kind of thing, or you talk about, um, you know, children being operated on, children being given drugs and so on, um, you are told that either you're a hysteric or uh, you're a bigot or that maybe there's something suspicious about you and maybe we need to take a look at your hard drives because obviously yeah, yeah. your your preoccupation with the safety of children means that you must be up to no good behind the scenes. Similarly, Pure queer theory. Yeah, there you go. There you go, Pure Right, queer That's it, they'll queer
3: anything. these buggers, right? Right. That's what they do, right? So here's what you have to do. Do you remember the Magnificent Seven? Yes. Dun, 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 dun. dun. And then they'd meet up with one that was gonna help her and they'd go, and then it was. and on Right. Mm-hmm. That's how you do it. Right. Just do it quietly under the radar until there's enough of you to make a noise. Yeah.
0: Right.
3: And then you're sending letters to the right place or you're bothering the right people. And gradually you'll go, I've got somebody else who I think might be interested. And suddenly you've got five people instead of two. The next thing you know, you've got 10 instead of five. This, you know, the war's over. We've got to be the resistance.
1: The resistance. Exactly. Well, what about, it, resistance. What, what about if, for example, you say, look, I think that um, uh, critical race theory promotes a totalitarian movement um, of movement of chauvinism based on race um, and so on. And then you get dogpiled and you get called a racist. Then what do you do?
3: I would show them Ibrahim X. Kendi's statement where he says that's exactly what he's going to do. Right. At which point they'd say, I don't believe it, blah, even though it's in front of me, but blah, 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 blah. no truth, no truth, no truth. You know, then you you, you wait until uh, I think Jordan Peterson put this very well. Mm-hmm. He said you said it'll happen. You'll get picked on. You wait. And in a week's time, it'll go away.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: That's it. Right. It's just it becomes yesterday, you know, tomorrow's chip paper, digital chip paper, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's that's what you have to do. Right. But it takes stern stuff to do that. But once you get the resolve and you understand what's going on, it seems like a small price to pay to save children. Mm-hmm. That's how I look at it.
1: Right, right. Well, it's it's scary. I mean, it it's frightening that a lot of these, like, okay, when you mentioned George, uh, George Floyd. So what is wrong with people protesting an incident like what happened to George Floyd? Nothing. Mm-hmm.
3: What is wrong is when an organisation like BLM capitalise on it and make money from it, so that they can undermine the nuclear family and bring in a world that is seen through a queer and trans lens.
1: Mm-hmm. And how That's does what's BL- wrong. How does BLM try to undermine the nuclear family?
3: Well, it, it's in there. It's in their original articles. Mm-hmm. They actually say a queer and trans lens where the child would be raised by the village. Right. That's in their original. I've got it. I've got it all. I've got the original websites downloaded. Mm-hmm. You know, well, so I- that I can make. Go on. Sorry.
1: That, that original list of demands was hilarious to me because I felt oh. like I was, I was reading a document that had been written by Angela Davis. I mean, it was such a throwback to the nineteen sixties. It, it was. So it ways.
3: was like it, it reminded me of. Do you remember the film Network?
1: Of course.
3: Do you remember Do you remember Lorraine when Tom Hooked Up?
1: <laughs> <laughs>
3: I've had enough of this, and I'm not going to burn
1: with it anymore. That's right. That's right.
3: You know, it's the same thing. It's the same you know, what you've got here essentially is an idea that was cooked up by a bunch of disgruntled Trotskyists in the sixties that's now <laughs> come to fruition. Right. Right. <laughs> right? And once you put it, you know, somebody'll say something to me now I go oh, shut up you disgruntled Trotskyist and they Mm -hmm. go what do you mean I said well you're just talking about stuff from the 1960s it's 2022 get with the program (laughs) so once you once you get the narrative and you feel you feel powerful about your narrative I you feel you can if taken on you can give a narrative that matters and makes a difference Mm -hmm. which is is what the warrior teachers are doing you can dismiss people Mm -hmm. what are you talking about you 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 absolutely unmitigated 1960s Trotskyist shut the up up up, 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 Mm -hmm. you know you can you can have a go then and they go what do you mean do you really want me to spell out where you're wrong? Really in front of people? <laughs> so, you know, everybody finds their own way. And we make mistakes along the way. and We just have to learn to get better at it. You know, in a world that's steeped in information, most of it's bullshit. We all become teachers and we all become students. Mm-hmm. Become a warrior teacher. That's the way forward.
1: Well, before you go, I really do want you to touch on the way that um, including T with LGB, what that, what that has done to... Um, the gay community
3: yes certainly Uh, you've got to remember that the the, the t has been part of the community for a very long time right but the t stood for transsexual not transgender Mm -hmm. right homosexual transsexuals have have existed for a long time and the reasons why they would have done what they would have done and not many did it were are complex and deeply rooted in misogyny and homophobia They're, they're very deeply rooted in the history of the uk gay movement but the tea was trans they were very feminine gay men who couldn't cope with life as men Mm -hmm. um so that they would they would take on the garb of femininity and and a kind of but they knew what they were mind they never thought they were women
0: right
3: you know these were they they might have been feminine but they were strong as dirt you know i've seen them take down people that were misbehaving (laughs) in the village with with their arm back smack (laughs) and down you know it's like don't mess with him you know, uh-huh. that's the transvestites, and then of course the transsexuals. Then you have the transvestites who turn up just because they get off on putting on a pair of knickers and a dress, right? <laughs> and so they were usually, they were usually straight men. Then you've got then you've got other people who are cross-dressers because they like to get banged in the bedroom with a pair of high heels, high heels and fishnets on. There are all these different sort of dissolute groups, mm-hmm. and then along comes transgender, which is meant to be an umbrella term, and suddenly you can include anybody you want, you like, under it, and you've got a bloke with his fetish out in your workplace, right? That's how it happened. And the effect is not just on the gay community. It's going to affect everybody. In terms of the gay community, it's allowed people LARPing as queer and trans Mm -hmm. to enter gay spaces and take over and bring critical race theory with them. Because Mm -hmm. at the last Pride in Manchester, they did an entire 30 minutes about all that crap and a vigil for gay men who died of AIDS.
1: Oh, you mentioned that. You mentioned that. You know,
3: it's like, okay. now you pushed it too far. I'm doing a report on Manchester Pride, which is proving it's on the back burner right now because I've got other stuff going on. But I have started collating and putting it together. And as soon as I've got it together, it's going to the Charities Commission and the police.
0: Mm -hmm.
3: Because I think that it's what we call a prevent issue. Prevent is about terrorism. It's Mm -hmm. about extremism. And I think that Manchester Pride is run by extremists. Mm hmm. So that's that's where that's where I'm at. So from that perspective, it's it's caused a fracture, but not too much. And the, the idea of the gay community is a silly idea. It doesn't really exist. It's a gay constituency, mm-hmm. you know. Because there's a lot of people that will go out and be hedonistic. And I did it for bloody years, you know, off your face, staggering home with a box of, with a box of crunchy fried southern chicken in your hand, you know, mm-hmm. trying to get the key in the door. And they waking up in the morning having not eaten the chicken, but lying on it in your bed with the gravy all <laughs> over your chin, you know. I've lived that life. I was I was a hardcore. Right. <laughs> so the head, so the, all you ever hear about is the hedonists. You know, mm-hmm. you never hear about the average gay bloke who's just living around the corner doing his job and living his life mm-hmm. because being hedonistic and being sexual is not everything that exists for him. Right. So there is no gay community. There is only a gay constituency. Mm-hmm. The LGBTQI2 plus S, hands, knees and bums and daisy people are a different thing altogether. They're an ideological cultist group.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. It's hard, isn't it, all this? <laughs>
1: It's very, it's it's very, very hard, and it's really a huge drag because the, the challenge, the challenge seems to be insurmountable, and you have to be able to express your views opposing certain activities or certain things without coming off looking like a giant bigot. I mean, they're going to call yeah. you a bigot anyway, um, but you have to make people understand it's not about bigotry; it's about um, reality it's about, yeah, yeah. you know, it's about the fact that lesbians would very much like to have, let's say, a dating site where men do not infiltrate mm-hmm. and try to have sex with them, which is an age old heterosexual male fantasy. Oh, never that, you know? Yeah, um, never. so. You know, the fact that you have a fetish, a sexual fetish, should not then become the problem of the lesbian community. Similarly, what? gay men should be able to go to a sauna or a bar without having women walking around calling them faggots or bragging that they're walking around naked about around a bunch of naked men. And I call, so I call
3: them know. fag hags on steroids.
1: Very nice.
3: Like, well, what, what do you say to what What are they doing there? They're going to get hurt at some point. Right, You know, they're women, right? And they're going to go home with some guy one night and it's going to be the wrong night and the guy's going to have had something or taken something or he's going to be drunk as a skunk and they're going to do what they do in disrobe and it's going to be smack.
0: Mm
3: -hmm. Right? Sex by deception. It's a crime in this country. Is it
1: still, still, though? It seems like now people like Nancy Kelly are openly advocating for sex by deception.
3: Oh, yeah, they want it it gone. They want that law gone. Right. They want it not on my watch. (laughs) That's me with delusions of grandeur there for a second.
0: No, but
1: it's I would
3: have it. It's true. Yeah. It's true. It is true. And at that point, I'm going to have to leave you. I've got to go and see Colvin. Oh. I'm very excited to see COVID.
1: Thank you, Barry. Thank but you. This has so been much. fabulous. It has been, hasn't it?
3: We didn't hear from Mister Negs much, did we?
2: There's Negs. I I apologize. I I made I told Clara prior to the to the broadcast that I was going to be doing a lot of listening and learning. Um, I have a lot to say, but I don't think an hour would be long enough.
3: <laughs> no, that, this is unfortunately how it works.
2: Yeah, right. I appreciate you coming on. It was very informative. And uh, I have to say that, you know, I, everything you said, um, I may not have thought it in, in those exact words, but I agree.
3: Okay. Thank you very much indeed. It's been a pleasure to come and speak to you, and I hope all your viewers have enjoyed it. And please do take a look at my Warrior Teach program. Come and join us.
0: Thank
1: Team's you, growing. Thank you
3: yeah, thank
0: you.
1: It's great. You so it's it's
3: fantastic to see you. And hopefully we can do this again sometime. We will. Fantastic. All right. Thank you very much. Have a lovely day, all of you.
1: Thank you, my love. All right. see you Have later. a good
3: day, man. All right.
2: Well, that was well, I I spent the time listening because you two were bollying off one another quite well. And uh, well, the only thing I really had to offer were clips of humor. <laughs> it probably wasn't the best. Time. <laughs> or maybe it was. Who knows?
1: That's okay, though. I mean, the thing is, the whole point of having Barry on was to explain where um, these mindsets come from. And if we are going to oppose something, we need to know what we are opposing. We need to understand the thinking of people who uh, disagree with the way that we think, and we need to be able to respond in a way um, that kind of takes into account their mindset. I know that's extremely difficult, but right. when you start to realize that a lot of what these people are, um, what these people are advocating for, um, and how it is a victimhood movement, it's a it, these are movements based on status assigned by victimhood. Then you realize, holy shit, this is a big task that we have ahead of us, and Absolutely. we cannot, and we can't allow ourselves to be railroaded by people who try to use victimhood status in order to gain, uh, if you want to call it superiority, you can, I mean, that's a word, but um, it's, uh, it's not, these are not meritocratic movements. These are not movements where we gain an advantage based on Uh, you know, the fact that we're smarter, the fact that we're more accomplished, the fact that we have all these characteristics, but based on things that we cannot control, we cannot control our skin color, we cannot control our sex, we can't control things of that nature. And there is a kind of inherent unfairness in saying, well, just because you were born with X skin color, X eye color, or whatever, then that means that you are by definition inferior, and you need to be under my boot. That is absurd.
2: Yeah, like racism and bigotry. That's exactly that's exactly what I've been saying for two years. Every time I had an opinion on somebody who happened to identify as some group that considered themselves marginalized, right. was that I was a bigot. And I'm like, so you're telling me that I can't have a voice or an opinion because of my skin color and who I am? That's that's wild to me because, and I always will always go back to uh, Jim Crow. Like, mm-hmm. stop giving me my own water fountain. I'm allowed that. I'm allowed to be uh, a part of the conversation too, uh, and I will even also go as far as to label this type of movement as woke supremacy, and because there's a lot of frauds latching themselves onto it to uh, grasp power, like uh, Justin Trudeau, for example. Right. Uh, it's been hard in the United States because of it being fifty states, but in Canada, it's a little easier for him. So it is. It's a. It's mm-hmm. absolutely supremacy uh, embedded in bigotry.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Well, I told Meg's this story. I might as well share it with you guys too. Um, and that is that the first year that I was at Brown, the big um, political push on campuses across the country was divestiture from South Africa. Um, it was an anti-apartheid movement. And I went down to the mail room to pick up my mail and there was a girl who was standing there um, with a petition that she wanted me to sign to get the university to divest. And, I mean, I was happy to sign it, but I just casually and innocently asked her, well, let me ask you this, if the university divests from South Africa, how will that impact apartheid? And she became absolutely irate with me and started calling me a racist. And I said to her, wait a second. Um, now, Now, in order to understand how hilarious this incident was, you would have to know what this girl looked like. She was blonde haired and blue eyed, uh, mm-hmm. in the full preppy garb with the eyes odd sweater, um, and so on. And I said, wait a minute, but I just asked you an innocent question. I mean, you're asking people to sign a petition, but you can't explain your position without hurling an insult at me. And I don't appreciate that. I would like it if you would, ex- you would respond in some logical way. And she just dogpiled me and started hurling even more insults at me. And I, I asked her, I said, you know, it, it strikes me that you probably went to a school like Dalton or Choate or Phillips Exeter, where I'm guessing that you probably didn't interact that much with people of color. You probably don't know a goddamn thing about South Africa or about the political structure of that country. And, But you have the gall to look at me in the eye and tell me that I'm the problem when you're the one <laughs> who is pushing for a political position that you clearly do not understand. So that was my first taste and that was in 1982. Now, obviously, you know who would know that that mindset would then get so popular? And this is exactly what people do when they cannot come back at you with a reasoned and rational argument based on facts, they hurl insults. So I guess that the best thing that you can do is just let it go in one ear and out the other. and it was pretty funny because, you know, I graduated from a DC public high school and right. here's this private school girl who is telling me about myself. And I was like, oh, bitch, not today. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> um, but now it's a more widespread attitude and it's infuriating, but all you can do is just come back with logical, rational arguments that are fact-based. Let's get back mm-hmm. to facts.
2: Yeah, if, if that fails, just you know, throw up a bird. That too, yeah. I go fuck you. A good old go fuck yourself is a good, a good exclamation point on a endless argument.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: All right, you guys. I want to thank you guys so much. Um, next week, we are going to have Monty on because we are going to be taking a wider view of the anatomy of an internet smear, um, and that is where I am going to take a back seat, and I am going to let Negs and Monty talk because Negs and Monty um, have both been victims of internet smears and we saw it come up yet again recently in the case of Negs. And so we're going to take a look at how internet smears come about and what they can do to the target. Um, So I hope you guys will join us for that. It's going to be a great conversation and then we're going to be having more guests throughout the month of December. So I want to thank you guys for being here and for supporting the podcast. Um, And until next week, thank you.
2: We'll see you then. Theatticpodcast.com. We'll see you next week.
0: Bye, guys.